We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Judges, um, we're seeing a people that knew the Lord at one time, and then what ended up happening is they forgot about Him. Uh, there was a cycle of disobedience which led to defeat slash discipline. That then led to despair, and then God in His grace would bring deliverance. But how many wasted years did the people of God experience in the book of Judges? You know, it's kind of interesting. If you add up all the years that they wasted, there was 111 years that they wasted in living a life of disobedience, you know, and they were God's people. And just as a word of encouragement to you, as a word maybe of admonition or of warning, you know, you might know the Lord, but you might be playing games with God, you know, and you're not really living for the Lord. You know what you're doing is you're wasting years in which God wants to work in your life. God wants to work through your life. You know, if we've been a Christian, you know, the one, the one thing I know God wants to do is He wants to continue to conform us into the image of His Son. And the longer you've been walking with the Lord, the bottom line is the more of a godly man and a godly woman you should be. And all those years, think of it, maybe you have a family and you're raising your children. You know, in different stages of their life, there's different things that are developing within them physically, emotionally, spiritually. And if you're not there for them in a godly way in a certain stage of their life, because maybe that was a time you didn't serve the Lord, it will then you know, manifest itself in their life. So what I'm trying to say is don't be like these people right here. I pray that God, by His Holy Spirit, would make this loud and clear. Wake me up so that I can wake you up so that we would not waste the years, the time, the days, the moments that God gives us to serve Him. Because the one thing that will mess us up is this thing you know, called sin. I, know, I don't know about you. I know like in my life, I always think about it this way, man. I hate certain things about me. You know, how many of you are like that? You're like, oh, I hate this about me, you know? But you know what our problem is? You don't hate it enough. <laughs> and, I, and I think a lot of us here, sometimes we love the Lord. We love the Lord. We do things that are right sometimes, but not all the time. It's because we don't love the Lord enough. And so God help us to hate sin more. And God help us to love Him more. God help us to live this life and to know that in Christ, we can do this, man. And this is what it's all about. God wants to work in your life. God wants to work through your life. Hate sin. Hate sin with a godly hatred. You know, I read a story. You probably heard about this. It's actually a true story about a man who lived in England and he had a pet scorpion. It was named Twiggy. Uh, and apparently each night, this is a true story, you guys, this man would take Twiggy in his hand and he'd give him a little kiss good night. Well, one night, and I'm sure you know where it's going, right? To his total surprise, the scorpion stung him on the lip. And so when the man opened his mouth to surprise and surprise, the scorpion then uh, jumped in his mouth and stung him again. <laughs> you know, and that would be weird, huh? That would be really weird. I wonder if he bit it or, or chewed it. I don't know for sure, but I do know this, man, that what ended up happening was this man underestimated the nature of that creature, you know, and that's what happens when we live in sin. And we think we're going to be okay. We're underestimating the, the nature of that creature. It'll, it'll ruin you. And that's why if there's any sin in our life, if there's anything that we should be doing that we're not doing, that's sin. If there's anything we're doing that we shouldn't be doing, that's sin. It's a creature that will destroy you. And we learn that in the book of Judges. I think a lot of times we do that same thing with that, that guy did with his pet scorpion. And we need to be careful. Look what we read here in Judges 3. It says in verse 1, Now these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them. That is, all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generation of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. Namely, five lords of the Philistines, all the Canaanites, the Sidonians, and the Hivites who dwelt in Mount Lebanon, 
from Mount Baal, Hermon, to the entrance of Hamath. And they were left that he might test Israel by them to know whether they would obey the commandments of the Lord, which he had commanded their fathers by the hand of Moses. How many of you here served in the military, just out of curiosity? Any of you guys here? And how many of you saw you know, combat? Any of you here? I know some of you have relatives that did. Um, it must be pretty amazing huh, to be out there in the middle of that. You know, those of us as civilians, we appreciate these guys that are out there, these gals that are out there. You know, but we haven't experienced it. It's a different, it's a different ball game. It's a different thing, you know. Um, it's interesting what we read right here. Uh, we read in our text, notice again there in verse 1, that the Lord is the one who said to be responsible for leaving the nations in the land allotted to Israel. And the reason it's so interesting is because we know that if Israel had had faith, the nations would have been driven out of the land. As a matter of fact, that was God's command to the children of Israel, drive them out, wipe them out. But they did not follow through with God's marching orders. It was Israel's lack of faith. It was Israel's choice to disobey. And so when we read right here, why does the text seem to say that it was God, that it was the Lord who was responsible for this? Notice again, look again in verse 1. Now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel. Was it the Lord or was it the people? Well, the answer is simply found in the fact that if the Lord wanted to, think about this, if the Lord wanted to, he could have done the work himself, right? Getting rid of every nation with or without the cooperation of Israel. But he didn't. He left the nations just like the Lord does in our life. You know, what we find is that age-old, incomprehensible issue of balance between the sovereignty of God and the responsibility of man. You know, and God gives us a choice, you know, and uh, God's on the throne. And God will work his plan, and God will do what he wants to do in order to reach us, in order to accomplish his purposes. The sovereignty of God, the responsibility of man. I was listening to a study by Xavier the other day, and he said, it's kind of like, you know, what you need to do is you see this side, you see this side, so you grab this one with the right hand, this one with the left, and you walk right down the middle. You can't, you can't erase either one. You see, and what we see is that the Lord right here is doing a work in which God wants to reach them. You know, I remember when I got saved, and you know, not everybody's the same, so I'm just kind of giving you my personal experience, but when I got saved, there were certain sins that God just wiped out of my life. You know, He just wiped them out of my, my life. I could in no way say that it was my faith that defeated this disobedience. I could no way say it was me who set me free. No, it was totally, completely, and solely the Lord. There were certain things in my life, things like alcohol, drugs, profanity, sexual purity. I have to say that it was God who totally did the work. God took many things away. He dealt so much of the sin within a swift blow, and he told it to go. But he didn't drive everything in out. And I know for all of us here, it's different, right? Some of you, maybe that didn't happen for you. All I know is this. Unfortunately, there's still things that are alive within me. There's still that rebellion that remains. And so you're like, Lord, why didn't you take it all out, you know? I mean, you did it with that. Why don't you do it with that? And we see that personally and we see it here nationally. See, there's a parallel with the people of God that we're reading about here in Judges chapter 3, how God left some nations there. Again, we read why in verse 1. Notice again, now these are the nations which the Lord left that he might test Israel by them. See? If you look down at verse 4, and they were left that he might test Israel by them. You see, the Lord leaves these nations there in order to test us. The Hebrew word nasah, usually it's translated to prove. And, and what it does, this whole thing that God's doing, this testing, is it proves us. It reveals us who we really are. Those trials, you know, over time they'll change you, but immediately they reveal you. And they, that temptation, that, that just, it just shows who you are. It proves who you are. 
You see, that's what testing is. It reveals and it refines. You know, what's inside of this cup right here? It's filled with water. There it is to the brim. What's inside of it? Well, shake it up a little bit and I'll find out what's inside, right? And hey, were you paying attention when the teacher taught you that lesson? Okay, we're going to have a test and find out, right? That's how we know what's inside. It reveals us. The testings of life reveal where we're at. You know, do you really know these lessons? Testing is good. It reveals and openly exposes everything to the eyes of God, ourselves, and to others. You know, you say you love God more than anyone else. You know, and a lot of people will say that, you know. That's easy to say when you're all alone. That's easy to say when Bathsheba is not around or nowhere to be found. But one day your love will be tested. There will be someone in your life maybe to test that love, to see if it's real, basically to see if you're real. And so all these things are going to be there. They're, they're left there to test them. But see, remember, God's a good God. And this whole testing thing has a purpose in the end. So don't be discouraged. Have you ever taken a test and failed it? Yeah, have you guys ever done that? And then you had to take it again? But maybe you did a little better the second time? Because you're like, man, I'm not there, right? And then maybe by the third time you finally passed or something. You know, sometimes we do that with our driving tests or whatever it might be. Don't be discouraged. God's showing us who we are. You know, I know in my own life, I know in my own life, you know, lately it seems like there's been an awakening inside of me. And, you know, you would figure after being walking with the Lord for 20 years, you would figure that, you know, I would kind of have it figured out by now, especially being a pastor now for like 17 years, assistant pastor, pastor, you would figure, but no, and, and, and wherever you're at, understand God wants you to go forward. Do not lose heart. You see, God wants to work in us. And so what will God do? Well, God will test us. God will test us. He left the Canaanites there. He left the Sidonians there. He left those things inside of you. And they're there. And what God's going to do is going to, he's going to test us. So see, if you go back to Genesis chapter, where is that? Where Abraham was tested, 22. I think you guys are probably familiar with this. I think we see an illustration, Genesis 22, of the testing process. It says in verse 1 of Genesis 22, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham. And said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. Now, if you could for a moment, put your name there. Put your name there. And it came to pass after those days, after those things, that God tested Manny. God tested Manny and said to him, Manny. And I said, here I am. You know, you could put your name there. Because, you know, I would venture to say, even though I know we're all at different places in our life, I would venture to say that you and I are right in the middle of a test. And we don't realize it. We know Abraham was right in the middle of that. And Abraham's, okay, Lord, here I am. And so he says in verse 2, Take now your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. And you're like, what? God, you want me to offer my son? I waited a hundred years for this. And you want me to offer him? I mean, this is the first time we find the word love in the Bible. God knew that he was his only son. It wasn't Ishmael. It was the, the son that he loved. It was all of his dreams. It was basically all of his life. And God said, I want you I want you to die. You must die. Take up your cross. I want you to sacrifice your son. What would we do? Well, I think for most of us here, if I could just say this, most of us here have just failed this test. We've just failed it over and over and over again because we're clinging to our rights. We're clinging to our life. We're clinging to the things that we want to do and not the things that God wants us to do. It's very simple. We're clinging to the counsel of the world and the counsel of the flesh and sometimes even of the enemy, the lies of the devil that we're listening to. And we just don't pass this test. 
You know, thank God that, you know, I think he, he gives us the tests again. What would you do? Well, here we see what Abraham did in verse 3. So Abraham rose early in the morning, and that means he was eager to do it. <laughs> that means he was eager. Early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son, and he split the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said to his young man, Stay here with the donkey, the lad and I will go yonder and worship. Look at that worship, and we will come back to you. And so Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering, laid it on Isaac, his son, took the fire in his hand and a knife. And the two of them went together. But Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father. And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Look, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? And Abraham said, My son, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering. And so two of them went together. And then they came to the place of which God had told them. And Abraham built an altar there and placed the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son. Oh my gosh, what? He bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar upon the wood. And Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. I mean, he was going to do it. You know? And when you look at this right here and what you find, you guys, is, man, Abraham trusted God so much that he knew, even if I choose to lay down my life, my dreams, my son, everything, if I give everything to God, complete control of everything, I know he's going to have his way. I know it's going to be good. I mean, he gave me promises, man, that I'm holding on to. And even though to me, this little step right here, it doesn't make sense. I know it's clearly God calling me to do something. And I don't question God. I just do what he calls me to do. And so Abraham, think about it. You know, okay, Lord. And, and I don't think he was like, you know, expecting God to intervene. I don't, he wasn't. There's no way. He knew that God could raise him from the dead. Right? But it says right there in verse 11, the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. So he said, here I am. And he said, do not lay your hand on the lad or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son from me. You see, we do a lot of talking. A lot of talking. I love God and and I, I take up my cross. You know, I'm his son. He's my God. I worship him. He died for me. We do a lot of talking. Maybe even a lot of singing. But I don't think we do a lot of dying. I don't think we really do a lot of obedience, activity, sacrifices. And what Abraham did, that's the test, you guys. The test is not a written test. The test is a living test. Not how you hear are here at church, service. We're on our best behavior here. It's how you are out there. How you are at home. It's how you are when God calls you to pray. When God calls you to get into the word. When God calls you to you know, be nice to your family. When God calls you to evangelize. When whatever it is that God calls you to do. You see, that's the test. Abraham here was called to, you know, to sacrifice his son, to die to himself, and just to follow the Lord by faith. And, 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 and he passed the test. God said, okay, now I see. Now, it wasn't that God didn't know. God knows everything, right? But things have to come out into the open. And so that's what happens. God will test. God tested Abraham. He passed the test. Therefore, God blessed him in a mighty way. We know that was a picture of the father giving his son, Jesus Christ, to die for us. So many parallels there. God will never call you to do something that he himself hasn't already done. He died to himself. And you read about the Lord Jesus Christ and the Gospels. Right now I'm studying through the Gospel of John and I'm just so amazed on how everything, everything he did was according to the will of the Father. Everything. 
he did. It was all on God's timetable. It was all according to the will of his Father. That's the way we need to live. Very important. See, God will test. God was going to test the children of Israel. It reveals where we're at. It happened to Abraham, and he was tested. It happened to Hezekiah. If you want to later, you can write down Second Chronicles 32, 30, and 31, talking about Hezekiah and just uh, the amazing things that he did. Stop the water outlet of the upper Gihon. He brought the water by the tunnel to the west side of the city of David. Hezekiah prospered in all his works, however... However, ooh, you don't like those however sound. However, regarding the ambassadors of the princes of Babylon, whom they sent to him to inquire about the wonder that was done in the land, God withdrew from him. Think about this. God withdrew from him in order to test him that he might know all that was in his heart. Now, whenever I read that verse right there, I, I, I trip out. I'm like, ooh, Lord, please don't ever do that to me. You know, Don't ever withdraw from me. But God, you know, might do that. To withdraw from you in one sense. Not that He leaves you or forsakes you, but He really lets you make your own choice. And what happened there was the whole story which you read about in a nutshell was Hezekiah showed the Babylonians everything. And he just did something he shouldn't have done. Later, Isaiah the prophet came to him and said, What did you show him? And Isaiah the prophet said, I showed him, I mean, Hezekiah said, I showed him everything. And, his, and then Isaiah said, man, you shouldn't have showed him everything. That was dumb. You should not have done that. Because everything they saw, they're going to take away. But it's not going to happen, Hezekiah, until after you die. And so Hezekiah was all, oh, cool, at least it's not going to happen while I'm alive. Now, is that good? That's not good. I don't think that's good. And a lot of the things that we're doing now will follow us when we die. The sins that we do now, our children will suffer because of that. That's why we have to hate sin. It's so important, you guys. God tests His people. God's testing you. That's why you're going through what you're going through. You are being, we are being tested right now. We see here in Judges, he's testing them. The Bible says that. And it's not the first time we read about the children of Israel being tested. Back in Exodus 16.4, the Lord said to Moses, Behold, I will rain bread from heaven for you, and the people shall go out and gather a certain quota every day that I may test them, whether they will walk in my law or not. We don't have time to go back and look at the many, many verses supporting this truth, but we find that God is constantly testing us. In Deuteronomy 8, verse 2, Moses said, You shall remember that the Lord your God led you all the way these 40 years in the wilderness to humble you and test you to know what was in your heart, whether you would keep His commandments or not. You know, I just think it's good to be aware of the fact that God is frequently testing us. Right now, I'm teaching a Bible class at Golden Springs and, you know, we have different quizzes and midterms and finals. My students like to know when they are. You know, don't you hate pop quizzes, you know? But when you know, okay, there's going to be a test, it's good to be aware of that. And I think for us as Christians, we need to be aware of the fact that God is testing us. The book of Judges is definitely an illustration of that truth. We read last week similar words. Remember in chapter 2 and verse 21? It says, I will no longer drive out before them any of the nations which Joshua left when he died so that I may test Israel, whether they will keep the ways of the Lord to walk in them as their fathers kept them or not. I wonder if we're aware of the fact that God is constantly testing us and I wonder how we're doing on those tests. You see, God tests his people to reveal us, to reveal who we are, where we're at. That's how we really find out. Not your words, not your claims, your life when you get tested. That's who you really are. It reveals us. And secondly, it refines us. You know, part of the reason these nations were left in the land was to test Israel. The nations being there would reveal the heart of Israel. But another reason was to teach Israel to teach them how to fight. Again, look what we read in verse 1. Now, these are the nations which the Lord left, that he might test Israel by them, 
that is all who had not known any of the wars in Canaan. This was only so that the generations of the children of Israel might be taught to know war, at least those who had not formerly known it. And just out of curiosity, I'm, I'm just curious. Well, I probably shouldn't ask this question, but I don't know. I'll just ask anyways. How many of you hear someone taught you how to fight? Just out of curiosity, someone taught you how to fight. Okay, son, you know, Duke's up. You know, things like that, you know. Get the stick. I mean, I don't know. How would your dad teach you how to fight, you know? Defend yourself. I told my son, my son's all, Hey, dad, if someone hits me, is it okay for me to hit them back? I said, you know what? Of course, you know, the Lord has to lead you. I said, but, but here's the thing, okay? You know, try to just stop it. But here's the thing. If they're trying to hurt your mom or your sister, or if they're trying to hurt someone else, fight. Fight. And the same is true for us. You know, these things that are going on, it's not just me. If it was just me, you know, it's not a big deal. But there are people around me. There is my family. There is my friends. There is this ministry. And I got to know how to fight. Some sins were taken away. You know, I wasn't involved in that. I have to say, it was God who stopped my profanity. How many of you here, when you got saved, you stopped cussing? How many of you here continue to? No, I'm just doing that. I want to tell you. You better not. You should not. Because that shows a wicked heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. But I do know this, man, that the Lord took that away. It was totally the Lord. But there's still things there that I have to fight and I have to learn how to overcome sin. We have to learn how to overcome sin. Identify sin in your life. Identify it. You're neglecting your wife? Identify it. Write a big poster on the mirror. I am neglecting my wife. Identify it. And then fight it. Whatever the sin might be. You have to know war. And that's why the children of Israel were there. God you know, would have driven them out if they would have fought. They would have had faith, but they didn't. God used it in His sovereignty to then teach them how to know war. And that's what the Lord is teaching right here. It reveals them and it refines them. I think if we're honest here this evening, most of us Christians would say that some sins were taken away. God took away the drugs, profanity, drinking, other things. It varies for all of us. But what about those things that remain? The wickedness still within. Maybe you're here, you have a short fuse. Or maybe you have a long list of people you don't love. Maybe you read and pray, you go to church every day, but you don't treat your spouse right. That's not right. And so we got to learn how to fight. You know, when Paul was about to go to glory, remember what he said, I fought the good fight, 2 Timothy 4, 7. Earlier he had commanded his son in the faith, 1 Timothy 6, 12, fight the good fight of faith. You see, we really are in a war. For this reason, we're likened to soldiers. 1 Timothy 2.3 We are to wage the good warfare. 1 Timothy 1.18 And we are to take up the whole armor of God. Ephesians 6.10-20 How do we overcome sin? How do you overcome sin in your life? Do we know how to fight? Are we winning the fight? Are we changing? Are we growing? What does your wife say about you? What does your husband say about you? What do your children say about you? What does God say about you? The longer we've been Christians, the more we should be like Jesus. We're not going to be perfect yet, but we should be going forward in a more intimate prayer life. Believing more. After all these years, look at how faithful God has been. We need to learn how to fight. Or maybe you're here and you're the same. Maybe you're here and you've gone backwards. You can't lick it. You won't kick it. Refusing to drive it out, much less wipe it out. You know what? The book of Judges, that's why we're here. God says, no, mijo, no. Sweetheart, you don't have to be that way. I want you to know that there is so much more for you. And today can be a crossroads. There's so much to say about winning the war. The book of Judges is going to teach us a lot of things. And we're going to learn from their mistakes, right? Are you guys going to learn from their mistakes? I hope you do. Their heartaches, their sins, as well as their wins. Man, I cannot tell you how many pastors have fallen into adultery. It's crazy 
how many pastors have fallen into sexual sin. You know, and there's probably a lot of reasons why. Maybe they think they're invulnerable or maybe, you know, they become a target or, or whatever it is. They just play games. I don't know what it is, but I do know this, that, man, every time I hear of another pastor, I just ask God, God, help me to learn from their mistakes. What they did to their children, what they did to their wife, what they did to the ministry, what they did to the people. Help me to learn from their mistakes. You know, that's why these things are written. I mean, yes, it's a history of Israel. God just chronicles Israel because through Israel, the Messiah would come. But it's not random. These things are written so we can learn not to make the same mistakes. And also we learn about the character of God. That if you're here today and you've been blowing it, man, that God is here too. God is here as well to meet you here and to give you an absolutely new start no matter where you're at because His grace is strong and His cross and His blood and who He is. He's so good. That's why you're here. That's why we're here. But God will test us. He will reach us. He will teach us because I think way too much of the church can identify with the way of Israel. You know, we read here about the Lord leaving these nations to test them, reveal them, refine them. And so we read in verse 5, it says, Thus, the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites. Okay, that's already bad. (laughs) They dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And so what ends up happening? Well, they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to, to their sons. And they served their gods. So the children of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord. They forgot the Lord their God and served the Baals and the Asherahs. You know, usually people don't fall away overnight. You know, it usually begins with little compromises beginning to happen in our home and our hearts. We begin to just, you know, feel a little bit at home with the things of the world and the ways of the world, and that's where they're at right here. They began to live with them, live like them, right? That led to then intermarriage with pagan people. That's a lack of consecration. Inevitably leading to idolatry. That's a lack of concentration on God. You know, the Bible says, if you're a Christian, you got to, don't even think about getting together with a non-Christian. And I shouldn't even have to say that. But I have to say that because people even coming on a Thursday night here at Calvary Chapel El Monte will go and flirt with someone who's not a Christian. It's crazy. But that's what ends up happening. It leads to idolatry. It leads to a life of evil, it says right here in the sight of the Lord. That's a phrase we find six times in the book of Judges. Evil in the sight of the Lord. We think we can hide it. We can't hide it. We can't hide anything. We can't hide the thoughts that we think. Evil in the sight of the Lord. The Bible says that God will one day reveal those secrets. Psalm 44.21 God knows the secrets of the heart. Secret sin on earth is open scandal in heaven. That's why we have to be real. It says right here they forgot the Lord. Imagine that. Forgetting the Lord. But they forgot Him. But because He was the Lord their God and Father, look what ends up happening next. It says in verse 8, Therefore the anger of the Lord was hot against Israel, and He sold them into the hand of Cushan Rishthaim, king of Mesopotamia. And the children of Israel served Cushan Rishathaim eight years. God disciplined them. And it's a good thing, right? Proverbs 3.12, For whom the Lord loves, He corrects. Just as a father, the son in whom He delights. Hebrews 12.6, For whom the Lord loves, He chastens and scourges every son whom He receives. You know, we learn in the book of Judges that disobedience leads to discipline. Discipline is defeat in the things pertaining to the kingdom of God. God follows through with his threats and he spanks his children. We even read right here that he sold his children. The anger of the Lord was hot against Israel and he sold them 
into the hand of Kushan Rishthang. His name means, this guy that they served, it means twice wicked, Kushang. Twice wicked, double wicked. And that's what ends up happening, right? They serve this guy, this wicked man, for eight years. Think about that. Eight years. That's a long time, huh? Don't you think? Eight years? I've seen Christians struggle for years, entangled again and again with a yoke of bondage, a combination of their own defiance and God's discipline, preventing them from being all that they were made to be on this side of time. And it doesn't have to be that way. It doesn't have to be that way. As a matter of fact, you know, even though this was a situation for the nation of Israel, look how close they were for everything to change. Because it says right here in verse 9, when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for the children of Israel who delivered them. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, the spirit of the Lord came upon him and he judged Israel. He went out to war and the Lord delivered Cushan Rishathaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand and his hand prevailed over Cushan Rishathaim. And so the land had rest for 40 years. Then Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. It's so cool. And when you learn things, you know, you learn, I think, what not to do. Um, you learn, just by reading this right here, things that God wants us to do. You know, when you're in that situation, you know, if you want to, I suppose you could live as a slave. You can kind of modify your expectations, lower your standards, wipe away your dreams. Stuff away the promises. And I guess if you wanted to, you could live that way with Kushan Rishathaim, double wickedness. I guess if you wanted to. But it would be better just to humble ourselves and, and cry out to God. God, I can't do this on my own strength. God, I don't want to do this on my, on my own. I don't want this life for me. I don't want this life for my family. I don't want this life for you. You redeemed me from this. And all you have to do is so cool is, is, is humble yourself. Repent of your sins. And cry out to who? To God. You know, sometimes people, you know, I mean, the Lord uses men and women, but it's God. It's the Lord that will make the difference in our life. Cry out to God. Humble, heartfelt, real, repentant prayer. God will raise up a way. In this case, he raised up a guy named Othniel. His name means Lion of God. And I think there's, again, a combination of God's sovereignty, man's responsibility. Othniel was a Lion of God. Some of you guys are here. Some of you gals that are here, you're a Lion for God. God uses you to help other people. God raised up Othniel, right? God raised him up. It says right here that the Spirit of the Lord came upon Othniel. Othniel, we know, was Caleb's nephew. He was also Caleb's son-in-law. We read about him earlier in Judges. read about him back in Joshua chapter 15. Great, great man of God. God raised him up. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him. He became a judge for God. All this led to what? Look what it says right there again in verse 11. So the land had what? Rest. Oh, I love that word. How many of you here like to sleep? How many of you here are sleeping right now? <laughs> I love rest, but I love the spiritual rest. I love the spiritual rest when you know you're right with God. You know, you're not perfect, but man, you just, you know you're right with God. You know, I love that. And they had that. They had that rest for 40 years. You see what ends up happening? Discipline. It leads to disobedience, leads to discipline. And then it should lead to despair, which would then lead to deliverance. When they looked up to the Lord, he graciously raised up a man who God would use as a deliverer. In this case, he's the first judge of Israel. His name is Othniel. We see the work of the Spirit of the Lord upon this man. If you want to be an Othniel, if you want to be a Lion of God, you're going to need the Spirit of God. We see that over and over again in the book of Judges, chapter 3, verse 10, 6, 34, 11, 29, 
13, 25, 14, 19, and 15, 14. I'm going to ask you guys to see if you know that at the end of the study today. All I'm saying is this, that the Spirit of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, and that's why it's so important that you pray. You pray. The Spirit of the Lord, if you're living a life of disobedience, you're going to, you're going to grieve the Spirit. And if you're living a life of doubt, you're going to quench the Spirit. If you're living a life of doubt, then you're not going to pray. But when you pray, it shows you believe. You see, and the Spirit of the Lord will give us that strength that we need. So you read this right here and you think, okay, cool, it's, it's a done deal, right? It's over, right? You know, they would never again go back to that life, right? I mean, God delivered them. God brought them out of the sin and now they're tasting the victory, the sweet, beautiful love fellowship of God working in us, working through us. You would figure they would never go back. But look look what we read. It says in verse 12, And the children of Israel again did evil in the sight of the Lord. And so the Lord strengthened Eglon, king of Moab, against Israel, because they had done evil in the sight of the Lord. Then he gathered to himself the people of Ammon and Amalek, went and defeated Israel, and took possession of the city of Palms. And so the children of Israel served Eglon, king of Moab, 18 years. Now how, much, how long did they serve him the first time? Eight, Eight years. Now it's, it's getting worse, huh? This time it's 18 years, right? This guy right here, they, they, they raise up. The, the Lord, you know, strengthens someone against him. That's scary, but God will do that, right? And what ends up happening is they regain the city of Palms. Now, the city of Palms is the city of Jericho. And you're like, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. Jericho, that was the first point of victory for the children of Israel. How could they possibly lose Jericho? Well, it happens. That consistent, persistent, insistent disobedience in our life leads to God's discipline, our public defeat, to the perplexing point that God will actually strengthen our enemies, and He does so to humble us. But this time they didn't serve for eight years. This time they suffered for 18 years. They were disciplined to a greater degree. And so we read in verse 15, But when the children of Israel cried out to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer for them, Ehud, the son of Gera, the Benjamite, a left-handed man. How many of you here are left-handed? No, I'm just messing with you. It's not a big deal. You know, literally in the Hebrew, it talks about what it says is he was handicapped in his right arm. That's what it literally says. And so he's a left-handed man because he's handicapped in his right arm. And it's interesting. Othniel came from the tribe of Judah. That's where all the great guys came from. Uh, this guy right here, he comes from Benjamin. At this time, they were the smallest of tribes. So we're going to see that God uses different types of people, right? God raises up a deliverer if we cry out. But, again, how many wasted years? First it was eight years, now it's 18 years. What would have happened if they would have served the Lord all those years? See, things would be different. And that's why it's important that we redeem the time because the days are evil. From what I understand, again, the number of years the children of Israel were in bondage was 111 years, according to Henry Morris. He said the listed periods of servitude in the book of Judges total 111 years includes time of subjection to no less than nine different nations. Israel's periods of apostasy were costly. The book of Judges is such a heavy lesson that God gives us in order to prevent this from happening. God does not want wasted years in our life for His children. I think none of us do. God is faithful to deliver. God help us to be faithful to obey. And as usual, here we see the mysterious balance between God's sovereignty and man's responsibility. God raised up a deliverer, Ehud. But this guy shows such courage. Maybe God will raise you up to be a deliverer to help people. Willing even to do this by himself, we're going to see if necessary, to get this whole thing going. To get Israel back on track. And that's usually the way it works. You know, wonder, Lord, what's it going to take? Lord, help me to be that man. Maybe that's the man. That's the gal. We don't know. God, raise up men who are totally surrendered to you, like Ehud was. D.L. Moody said, pray as if it all depends on God. And work as if it all depends on you. 
And this is what this guy did, man. Because look what it says again in verse 15. He was a left-handed man. By him the children of Israel sent tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now here's what he did. Ehud, he made himself a dagger. It was a double-edged dagger. It was a cubit in length, and that's about 18 inches. He fastened it under his clothes on his right thigh. And so he brought the tribute to Eglon, king of Moab. Now Eglon was a very fat man. And when he had finished presenting the tribute, he sent away the people who had carried the tribute. But he himself turned back from the stone images that were at Gilgal and said, I have a secret message for you, O king. He said, keep silence. And all who attended him went out from him. And so Ehud came to him. Uh, He was sitting upstairs in his cool private chamber. And then Ehud said, I have a message from God for you. And so he arose from his seat. And then Ehud reached with his left hand. There's that left hand again, right? He took the dagger from his right thigh and he thrust it into his belly. Even the hilt went in after the blade. And the fat closed over the blade for he did not draw the dagger out of his belly. And his entrails came out. And then Ehud went out through the porch and shut the doors of the upper room behind him and locked them. I mean, basically what we see in a nutshell is this guy right here was, you know, willing to to just go for it, man. To just go full bore. More than likely, he figured he was going to die. I mean, how do you get away with this? I mean, you go into it, you're like, I'm going to take him down. I know I'm going down, but I'm doing this for the glory of God. Just willing to die, right? But it's so cool the way the Lord works it out for him. You know, he gets his private time with him. And, uh, and you know, that's pretty amazing. He, he you know, takes that double-edged dagger and he, and he shoves it in. And then he splits. In verse 24, when he had gone out, Eglon's servants came to look. And to their surprise, the doors of the upper room were locked. And so they said he's probably attending to his needs in the cool chamber. That means he's going to the restroom, right? They thought he's taking a long time, right? And so they waited till they were embarrassed and still he had not opened the doors of the upper room. Therefore, they took the key and opened them and there was their master fallen dead on the floor. But all of that, so what? So Ehud had escaped while they delayed and passed beyond the stone images and escaped to Sarah. And it happened when he arrived that he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And that's what we need. We need guys with a double-edged sword. The word of God. And we need guys to blow the trumpet. You know, and this guy, no one told him to do it. He just did it. Right? And he blew the trumpet in the mountains of Ephraim. And the children of Israel went down with him from the mountains. And he led them. And then he said to them, Follow me, for the Lord has delivered your enemies, the Moabites, into your hand. And so they went down after him, seized the fords of the Jordan, leading to Moab, and did not allow anyone to cross over. And at that time they killed, listen to this, 10,000 men of Moab, all stout men of valor. Not a man escaped. And so Moab was subdued that day under the hand of Israel, and the land had rest, notice this time, for 80 years. Wow. Awesome. And you guys, we're doing this. We're not doing this for ourselves, man. You know, we're doing this for God and we're doing this for his people. And the land had rest for now it's 80 years. And so what ends up happening after him was Shamgar, the son of Anath, who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. Now, more than likely, this guy was, you know, there while uh, the previous judge was alive. And God was using men in order to bring himself glory. He uses his double-edged sword, which is symbolic of what? The word of God, right? And the second guy uses what? The goads, which are symbolic of what? Ecclesiastes chapter 12, what is that? Verse 11, the word of God, right? But what it is this time, though is the word of God when your friend comes and gives you counseling and they goad you. That they're like these, these little words, they're just chosen real carefully and they goad you with the word because faithful are the wounds of a friend, right? And God uses people in our life 
to just bring us to where we need to be, you guys. See, this is not a game. It's not a social club. It's not a Thursday night thing. I guess I'll go and I'll knock that off my list. No, this is an opportunity for God to radically change our life right now. And so, Lord, we pray. Lord, we thank you. We love you. We need you. Lord, you're so good, Lord, in that you would warn us and you would write the book of Judges, Lord God. In my life, I just want to take it to my life because I really, really want to be the man that you want me to be, Lord. I, and so I just pray, God, that I would learn from all these things because I can teach a Bible study and I can go to church seven times a week and I can go in and spend an hour in prayer and an hour reading my Bible and read a whole bunch of other books. But what good is any of that? Lord, if I'm not, I'm not living a life of obedience. And so, Lord, I pray that you just put everything together for all my brothers and sisters here. You bless them. You encourage them. You strengthen them. You raise them up as, as judges, as deliverers, as lions for God to bring rest to the people of God. Lord, we thank you so much for allowing us to study your word. And we pray, Lord, that you would just be with us now as we go. And Lord, if there's anyone here, Lord, just in case there's anyone here who, Lord, has been struggling, Lord, and they've distanced themselves, or maybe they don't even know you, Lord, that tonight there would be that that radical change, that tonight, Lord, we would all repent of our sins, come back to you with all of our hearts. Do that work by your Holy Spirit, the work that only you can do, the, the work that you long to do, Lord, in our lives. Fill us with your joy, your love, your peace. Lord, lift up those who are downcast. And just teach us, teach me, Lord, tonight that we can do all things to Christ who strengthens us. Love you, Lord. We love you. We love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's all stand. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.